Hey everyone, welcome to Breakdown to Wake Up, a show dedicated to sharing personal journeys of men and women who have traversed through mazes of uncertainty, dark clouds, and dishonoring themselves, and the lessons that they have learned along this path of who they really are, and what one can do and accomplish in their own self-discovery. In sharing these journeys, we touch, move, and inspire with a keen understanding that you too can transform your life from frustration, ill health, and the darkest depths to abundance, health, and joy. I'm your host, Jocelyn Bellows. As a writing and life coach, I work with men and women to break through the BS of their lives, to finding their own voice, and leaping into a life they love. If you are at the precipice of sharing your story with the world, I'd love to hear from you. I can be found at jocelynbellows.com. If you're joining us today on YouTube, please like and subscribe to my page. Joining me today is the irreverent sage, G.P. Walsh. G.P. is the son of a schizophrenic mother and an absentee father. His earliest members, uh, memory of being tied to his bed kept him from wandering. So that's just a little snippet of who G.P., a little bit about G.P., and we're going to be back in just a moment and have G.P. joining us. Stay tuned. GP, hey, thanks so much for being here with me today. Oh, wonderful to be here. Thank you for asking me, Jocelyn. Welcome, welcome. So I'd like to share with the audience a little bit about your background. As I mentioned, you were the son of a schizophrenic mother and an absentee father. And your earliest memory of being tied to his bed kept him from kept, him, kept you from wandering. That just blows my mind. <laughs> that really is my earliest memory. Yeah. Wow. And it's emblazoned in my mind. I was hanging upside down on the side of my crib because I'd gotten out, crawled over to get out and wander like I love to do. And, uh, but they tied my leg and I just came over, banged my head on the side. My brother was screaming and it was, a, it was in the same room as me. So, um, and, and I was just picked up very unceremoniously put back into, put back into bed, N no comforting. And I just remember that moment. Um, I mean, we all have, traumatic moments in, in our lives. Usually what happens is, is a series of them build up over time, which, which creates that, you know, that sense of being cut off from yourself, that sense of that I'm not safe anymore. Um, for me, it just happened to happen like that. And I was somewhere around two, I think it was, uh, right around there. That practice continued for the next four years, actually. Um, they finally stopped. Uh, tying me and tying me into bed, and it really was mostly my mostly my mother. She was mentally ill, and and my, my father, a kind man, a good man, but just uh, just her her illness was just way more than he could deal with. Let's not forget this was the 1950s, right? This isn't now where we you know everybody's aware of this kind of stuff. This was this was the days. I mean, when I was born, we didn't have TV. <laughs> So this is a very different, a very different time from, from and, now. And I imagine we didn't, in that time frame, we didn't talk about mental illness. Or mental illness was, you you check someone into a hospital. And well, that was even later. Yeah, it, it didn't even exist, right? Yeah. The, the, the idea that somebody could actually be having emotional or mental problems that could be addressed was 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 not even thought of. I mean, it was 20 years later before any of that stuff even began to be kind of work their way down. You know, celebrities and rich people had a psychiatrist in the 60s, right? That became kind of a, a popular thing. But the average folk, uh, you know, you just just bear it. You just bear it. This is the way it is. So nobody even thought about it. So abuse was much more rampant then. I mean, we're really aware of it now, uh, but at the time, uh, it, it was just it, it wasn't that it wasn't going on. It was just not really. It was understood. This was just the way the culture was: spare the rod, spoil the child, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, and it, it had it had a profound effect on me that I really wasn't aware of the depth of the effect it was having on me till much later, when I gained some understanding of how this stuff. Uh, work and I get, got some uh, per perspective of it, but the effect that it had was to simply made me make me uh, 
distrusting, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, uh, taken to my nervous system as if it was an absolute fact that the universe is a dangerous place. Nobody's going to help you. You're alone. You're on your own. You know, make it work, kid. And so I became manipulative, deceptive. You know, I became the artful dodger. You know, you, you, our nervous system is an is an incredible thing. It finds a way to survive. And whether it's healthy for us or not, r- right? It, it well, it's not interested in that, right? You have to remember at this very fundamental level. It, it's not interested in whether you're happy or not. It's not interested in you know prosperity or intimacy or or fun it's survive i mean it's reptilian right that's it and it'll chew your arm off to get out of a trap um so it doesn't matter what it cuts off right as long as you survive and that's the level at which you operate and it's at that level that that your sense of identity begins to form because you begin to now you know as you get older you begin to think right about yourself in turn in terms of behaviors which are extremely limited and constricted and based on based on the assumption that the world is hostile and if and and dangerous and so a whole sense of self emerges that completely disconnects you from yourself disconnect let's, let's dive in i'd like to talk let's dive into that for um, for a few moments as we were getting ready for the, the conversation today we were we were talking a little bit about your let's start with your teenage years we talked about your teenage years and um, how you modeled through high school. Um, oh. <laughs> yes, and I've got, that's the word that I'm going to use. That is that you you really struggled to navigate. Oh, I, I navigated by by pure by pure wit. Um, you know, I was quick witted and and smart, so I learned how to get away with stuff. I learned how to be just absolutely artful at hiding, um, at, at not ever revealing my true motive or intentions about anything. Um, and it didn't really begin to show up until puberty. As a, as a kid, it, was, it, it wasn't as, as, as dominant. You know, I got good grades in school. I was a leader kind of uh, thing. But then it really started with at puberty. All sorts of emotional turmoil started to happen, and I just became rebellious and bitter, and and um, I became uncontrollable. I mean, <laughs> I had teachers crying. I made them. I even had one teacher quit. <laughs> he quit teaching. He gave up after after having you. As a I student. made I made his life so so miserable. Yeah, I mean, it was just. I, I think back and I, now I go, geez. Um, <laughs> I was uncontrollable. Uh, you know, at 12 years old, I was on the street every night. I didn't go home. I, you know, I mean, it was like, as I'd mentioned before, before we went live, that, you know, I, I would have been uh, in jail, right? Had it, had it not been for a talent I had for music and a particular time in history when all of a sudden everybody wanted to play music, right? And so you know, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and uh, all of a sudden, for the first time ever, my life had a focus, right? <laughs> and so, you know, me and everybody else were playing, but I was actually good at it. And I found other guys who were actually really good at it. And we got pretty, we got pretty good to the point where I, that's where I, 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 I majored in that in college. But this was rock and roll. This was not, you know, this were not Philip Sousa marches. So, and this was the this was the whole era of of rebellion and and drugs and and the whole thing. And I just got into it, in in just completely embraced the the entire identity. I mean, it, it gave me a reason for being, right? And and an ambition that gave some focus to my life, which otherwise would have just I, God knows where it was gone, if I'd even be still alive. Do um, you? Okay. Yeah, no, please. I said, do you feel that? that introduction to music or that discovery was that a was that a component of you saving yourself or shifting was that one of the shifts in your life where you start to go away from destructive to self-constructive yes yes it did i mean there were lots of self-destructive um elements to it 
and there was certainly a, a, a lot of identity investment uh, in it, but it was a real concentrated focus. I mean, I, I practiced a lot. I mean, I really took it seriously and I put all of my, all of my energy uh, in, into it. So it, it, which of course was uh, very um, uh, constructive. And I worked with other uh, fellows, as, uh, bands I was in were, were equally dedicated. We'd spent a lot of time writing music and being creative. And it, it just kind of hooked me into a whole different way of being. It was very creative, very spontaneous, very free, um, and, and, uh, and, and not so con constricted because school just felt like, like a heavy weight, you know, just classes and all of that. So I was never... Well, you were, on, you were on someone else's narrative. Yes. So we did. We discovered our we discovered our own kind of our 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 own thing at a time when you could, right? Right. This was this the, this was the sixties. Things were changing very dramatically, and um, and th that kind of uh, that kind of uh, extreme behavior wasn't so extreme. Right? It was it was actually even allowed, even honored in 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 some cases. And um, I, and I'm a, I, and. and being a child of the early 80s, you know, reflectively looking at the 60s and saying that to me, this spirit of free love and openness that was not just honored, it was revered. Yes. And and I and I believe that that I mean, that I, even to this day, I think we we still need to embrace that piece of ourselves. We surely do. It was naive. And immature, um, but it was but it was genuine. And there was just a, a recognition that there was way more to life than just the just the regimentation that had become had become the norm. You know the illusions of you know Donna Reed and Father Knows Best were, were just they 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 were obviously silly, <laughs> right? They just didn't they just didn't fit in this world. And so many things happened at the same time. I mean, the revolution in music, but also the Vietnam War, the televising of a war for the first time ever, uh, the, the war movement where the popular opinion actually got a war stopped. That had never happened before. It also has not happened since. It hasn't happened since. Well, yeah. they've learned really well to control. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what we get to see and what we don't get to see to the narrative that that's, that a larger piece wants to... Yeah. They learn yes. from that. Yes. <laughs> the people who profit from a war learned a lesson from that, and they didn't let it happen again. Um, so it was a very tumultuous time. It was a tumultuous time for, uh, for, me, for me personally. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of had this arc, right, where it really peaked, and it was really great the, the drugs, the fun, and everything was just, you know, it was just like I was having a great time. But then little by little, as I got older, because um, I started that, all the whole drug thing when I was like 15, um, as, I got, as I got older and the positive influence of the drugs, right, the, the, the uh, I should say the sedating influence of the drug became weaker and weaker. Uh, more and more of just this of fear and anger and and darkness began to emerge um, to the point where I was just I was just impossible to be with I was just I was my disposition was totally dark cynical I hated everything I criticized everything <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing in the world was uh, was good that even my best friend said go away we keep no, we can't I, we can't tolerate you right. So and by you emanate that when you when you well, live in that space of anger and angst and fear and shame and judgment, all that low vibrational, low vibrational thoughts and feelings, that's emanating from your being. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's in every gesture. <laughs> it's in everything, right? And, and nobody in their right mind wants to be around that. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew they were right, right? I, I knew they were right. So I just, you know, after high school, I just kind of isolated myself. I couldn't hold a job. I tried going to school. I had to drop out. I just, I mean, I couldn't do anything. I just was just, I was just a total wreck. Uh, 
until one very wonderful night when something yeah. quite quite magical uh, took place um, that I now refer to as my night on the bridge, and it was the um, it was the turning point. And it was completely uninvited, and it was completely without. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't barely even participating in it. I kind of. It's kind of like a divine intervention. What What was the night on the bridge? Can you share with the audience what the night on the sure. bridge is? Sure. Uh, I'll see if after fifty years, I'll see if I can get through telling it this time without choking up. <laughs> Which is. And it's okay if you do. I haven't done it. I haven't been able to do it yet. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Um, this 1971. Um, as I said, I couldn't hold a job. I, I, I had no friends, you know, girlfriend was impossible. Um, they are scared to death of women, <laughs> needless to say. <laughs> well, um, and, and I'm going to take a step back there. If you're scared of yourself. Yes. Right. And not yeah. loving enough and like being with you, there's, there's no way to be open to connecting with other. Correct. And you know, the risk of intimacy is somebody's actually going to see you. And I could not let anybody see me. Right. Um, I just didn't want anybody to see this. Right. I was just really good at, you know, presenting what people wanted to see. Um, but I got a job offer playing drums. It was my, that was my instrument at the time. I switched later to piano, but um, a bar band in the middle of Wisconsin. I was growing up in a little town in Illinois. Um, and at that time, the 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 they had these um, eighteen year old bars. You could you could drink beer at eighteen in Wisconsin. It also had the largest beer consumption per capita rate in the world <laughs> at the, at the time. The dubious honor. Um, so every college town, you know, was loaded with these eighteen year old beer bars. So um, I was only nineteen, but I could play in them. We could we could actually play in there and 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 eke out an extremely meager living um i slept on the floor in the living room <laughs> right mm -hmm. i was living the rock and roll dream right yes <laughs> in every possible sense <laughs> in, every, in every possible sense you, you know i lost uh I, yeah i mean i had i had nothing to just live in hand to mouth and you know we'd rehearse we'd play we'd get wasted that was my life right um and that was just going on and on. And, you know, I knew I was going nowhere, you know, you know, I'm, I'm just, I hated everything. I hated me. I mean, it was just, it was just indescribable exactly how dark it was. Um, but then one night I'm sitting around with a bunch of people, um, getting, you know, totally wasted as usual, right? N nothing normal there. I'm sitting, I'm just, just sitting there with a group of people. And then so, all of a sudden, this terror comes over me. Mm -hmm. And my body just goes numb, is paralyzed. I can't move. I'm, I'm just absolutely seized. The only thing I can move is my eyes. I'm like looking around like this. I can't feel it. I don't know what my body's doing. Except my heart is pounding. Like my, my throat tight, uh, closed up. So I was just going to. I could barely breathe. My my head was just was just throbbing, and I'm and I'm sitting there, just I'm feeling everything fall apart. I'm feeling everything fall away, and I'm going, "This is it. It's over." And it was actually a big relief. <laughs> I was great. I was welcoming it. I look back on it now, and something inside of me actually did break. Something did crack. Some, 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 some of the, the armor of the ego actually did break. It just couldn't withstand this amount of pressure. And as I'm, as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, there's nothing I can do, right? Uh, I, I, I can't move, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my body, completely out of my control, gets up, walks to the door, and starts to walk. Now I'm on autopilot. <laughs> Did it feel like an out of body experience? Like you knew you it, were moving, but yeah, it, it's hard. To, it's hard to describe. The body was moving, but I wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? 
I had no, I still had no control. Right. <laughs> but, but it, 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 obviously it was my body and I was here and it was, it was doing stuff, but it was not me. It, I had, I had nothing to do with it. Walked for about this street down over there around here, about 30 or 40 minutes, like it knew where it was going. And finally it stops, turns to the right. And I find myself looking down. I'm standing on a bridge, looking down at this horrendously polluted river. Right. Now, it's not a high bridge, you know, end it all, jump off kind of bridge. It was a walking bridge, right? So uh, it, it wasn't like I was going to jump off. I'd just get wet and embarrassed. Um, so I'm sitting there staring at this, you know, I have no idea what's happening. But I'm just like completely blown away by this particular river used to be one of the cleanest and most pristine in the whole country. And here it was in front of me, dead, you know. Uh, just like it smelled, it was this ugly brown stuff. Um, and and I just kind of like broke into this rant, just all of this venom and hatred and, and bitterness just started flowing out of me about how horrible human beings were, about what we'd done to everything. We take everything good and we just absolutely, and we destroy, absolutely it. destroy it. Right. And, and, I realized, and I did exactly the same thing to me. I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve anything. I, I took that was good, and I, I'm a coward. I'm a I'm a waste of air. And in the middle of this, just this fit of anger and, and venom, this rather loud and authoritative voice says, "Look closer." Stopped me. Stopped me in my tracks. I mean, it was so loud, and it had so much power behind it. But I stopped and I'm sitting there, look, and I'm looking. I go, look at what? And the voice said, look closer, look really close. So I, I put my entire attention down into this mucky, ugly water. And as I did, I found myself like shrinking. Right? It was like Alice in Wonderland. Everything was just ex expanding around me. And it kept getting smaller and, and smaller. And before I knew it, I was like, I was like suspended in space. And all around me were the molecules of the water of the, this river. I was in the river, in the space, in the river, in between the molecules. And I'm looking around and the voice says to me, now, look at the water. And, I, and it was obvious there was the water, this beautiful H2O, right, sitting there. It says, now look at the pollution. And you could clearly see just kind of distorted and, uh, and, 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 and uh, ugly. And the voice says, they're not touching, are they? Says, no, no, they're not. They're, they're completely separate. Said, From our normal perspective, they look like they're one thing, don't they? Yeah. But down here, there's the water and there's the pollution. They haven't bonded, have they? I said, no. I'm, I'm stunned, right? Just like. And the voice said, and if there was some way that you could like separate the two of those, you'd have the exact same pure, pristine water that you always had, wouldn't you? Completely untouched. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it would be the same original water. And then the voice said, Greg, that's you. Sorry. I almost made it. You did. I almost made it. I felt... And suddenly it was clear. It was just like this light just started to pour into me. And it was like, that was me, the original innocent me that hadn't actually been touched by any of this. The next thing I know, I'm standing back on the bridge again. I'm in a complete daze, right? right. 
all the effect of the drugs, all of it, the, my body's normal, heartbeat's normal, throat's, everything's normal. Just completely, completely a whole standing there. And as I'm just kind of taking it in, there's, I, I recognized a feeling <laughs> that I, I, I had never remembered feeling. I felt loved. It was probably within two months I was back in school. I was getting A's. All of the, all the addictive habits had fallen away. My, my disposition had returned. Uh, it, it, it was like, it was like a resurrection. And remember there were two parts of that, that, that sense that I, I since called the original innocence that I had seen never left me. And I can see it, and I can see it in everybody, right? It's just for me, it's an absolute fact. But the there was two parts. If you could find a way to separate the two, you'd have the same original thing. And that that process of separating the two uh, was not so fast in coming. That took a while, years actually, decades. A lot of things I had to learn. I mean, I was. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to God, but I also can't tie my shoes. I'm dysfunctional. I've never had a real life. I've, I don't know how to do anything, right? I'm totally incompetent. Um, so there was so much that actually had to, had to be worked through, right? But there was so much that had to be, oh, brother, we gotta, we gotta do something with this. It, I call this the unlearning. Y yes. It's the unlearning. It's the undoing of you know, for you with your, the beginning of sort of your journey of creating a story at two years old that the world is not safe. Yes. And that I have to live in a shell of protection because I am not loved. I am not cared for. I am not, I am not, I'm not, I'm not. To now to like slowly peeling those layers back and saying, you know, this, that was never the case. I've, that was that story that I told myself was not mine. Right. You know, it, at the time it was true. I wasn't. It wasn't safe there. But what happens, which this took me decades to really figure out how this whole thing worked. What happens is, you know, our nervous system, especially that of a child, this is reality as far as it's concerned. So it, it can't see it as a temporary condition that you'll eventually be able to get out of. If it's this is it. This is the way it is. This is the way the universe is. This is the way it's always going to be. And so your whole energy system, sense of identity conforms itself to that, to that, what I call an energetic assumption, right? Even though later you can see that it's not true, your nervous system is still marching to the beat of that drummer. And it, and, 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 and learning how to get it out of that, right? So it actually begins to realize it's not there anymore. It is not in that place anymore. You know, after World War II, um, even like six, seven years later, they were still finding Japanese soldiers scattered throughout the South Pacific, still on duty, that they didn't know the war was over. And it took a while to convince them that the war was actually over. I even, somebody even, I mentioned that when somebody even pointed out that the last one was actually discovered in 1971. Wow. Yeah, like 35 years after the war had ended, or 29 years, something like that. There was still somebody there who, who didn't know the war was over. And this to me is like the perfect metaphor for what happens to us at these very early formative years. Yeah. Um, where something can get stuck that tightly that, and, and that's what leads to all of the resistance, the self-sabotage, all of the things that happen later that seem inexplicable is because we don't really realize the level on which this is all playing itself out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the big thing, discovery for me, and this took a very long time because I went through, I, I tried different kinds of psychology. I mean, at first it was all just the spiritual mystery. I needed to figure out what in the world had happened. Right. Yes, And so I dove into everything I could possibly find. But now I'm, I, this is a small town in Illinois, right? In the 50s and 60s, right? I'd never heard the word yoga, right? 
you know, it, it you know, it would be another five years before the A Course in Miracles was even written, right? Ten years before you had the consciousness movement or anything, anything like that. There was no such thing as self-help, right? It didn't exist. I, I just dove into what was a, a, available to me, which was just basically whatever religious literature I'd get my hands on, which was mostly, mostly biblical, right? And because it was all the Christian uh, tradition. But I was fortunate enough to get my hands on some really, some really nice reference materials, concordances, Greek and Hebrew dictionaries. I had, a, I had access to an interpreter's Bible, which is like 47 volumes of you know, the history and all these things. And I began to discover the mythology in it. It stopped being a historical record and started being this 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 book of 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 myths, which I you know later on as I as I absorbed uh, Joseph Campbell, I began to see how the whole thing fit together and how these stories worked and all this sort of stuff. But what I found was various stories at different periods of time, people trying to describe the. To, uh, them, what happened to them, which was the very same thing that had happened to me. What, I, what you're experiencing. And, and isn't that an incredible thread? Yes. From over centuries. Centuries. Millennium. Yes. La later yeah. on, you know, get, uh, as I discovered um, Hinduism, Advaita Vedanta, and like, this goes back to the Vedas. We're talking 10, 12, 15, you know, they don't even know when they were written. They're just pre-history. Pre so this thread of understanding has been has been weaving itself through humanity forever and taken different forms and different cultural inflections to pay, based on the needs of uh, needs of the people and then in, in those times when it needed to um, it it just appeared spontaneously even though you didn't invite it I mean I was not seeking God believe me <laughs> yep. yep and and I I can relate to that I think. For myself, I know when when I began my when I had my first epiphanal moment um, was con was connecting with my first life coach. I wasn't. I was in a space where I knew something had broken through for me, and I was no longer going to tolerate the life that I was living. I had no idea what was coming down the pipe all i knew was where i am right now isn't working yes and in weeks later as divinity gives us these beautiful gifts along our path and someone shows up very unexpectedly and that the world starts to open yes blossom and that recognition of the openness that we are we are connected. Mm. We are connected to every living organism and being around us. And that feeling of love, when we open ourselves and recognize I'm connected to you, I'm connected to the tree outside, I'm connected to the, the breezes blowing, the grass at my feet, under my feet, and this fullness of this where I want to say here, the beauty of life. Yes. It, but, and as we were talking about this before the show, is something has to give. Our yes. ego has to give in, or we have to break through it to be able to be alive and be one with it. That is the absolute truth. Um, something has to let go. The ego can't let go. It won't. When they use the word ego. It doesn't have the same kind of awful pejorative sense that most it does for a lot of people. It's simply the sense of identity. It's simply who you think you are and you're not. Um, but we cling to it because it feels safe. It feels comfortable. It's like old clothes or something, you know, that old sweater you don't want to get rid of, y even though it doesn't even work anymore. It's got holes. Yeah. And it doesn't even keep you warm anymore. But we, we hold on to it it's because it's it's familiar. But you're not that. And eventually what you actually are just feels the confiningness of it. It feels the 
it's just this isn't right. These clothes don't fit <laughs> anymore, right? And and that recognition, even though it has no idea yet what it is, um, will eventually make a crack in that armor. The, the the sense of discomfort, or just for you know, use the blunt word, suffering, gets big enough that staying where you are hurts more than the risk of going somewhere where you don't know. And 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 you just you're forced really even against your will. Because <laughs> you know, nobody chooses this path, right? If we all had our choices, it would all be, you know, rainbows and dolphins and unicorns, right? Um nobody and and even when you sign up for spirituality you think oh it's going to be oh it's great i'm going to get magical and mystical and light and love and joy yeah. and, <laughs> and then the cosmic two by four comes down wham right which is in zen it's beautiful the zen master has a stick he has a, a zen stick and um traditionally not anymore because in modern with lawyers and insurance companies traditionally that stick would be the, an appropriate whack. They'd whack you with it. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it, 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 there was a lesson there to be, it, to be learned. So everybody, you know, my experience was, was quite dramatic because I was extreme, right? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was in extreme dire straits. I was, I, and I was clenching tightly to a sense of identity. Um, so it, it, it is an example. Everybody has it. Everybody's story is the Buddha story, right? Looking back from the place of, of, of the awakening happened, you look back and go, this is pure grace. I was, I was, you know, I was being led here the entire time by something much greater than myself. I'd like to, I'd like to go back to that night on the bridge um, to, to come get back into this, the storyline here. So you have this epiphanal moment, this divine divinely timed opportunity. You leave that bridge and you said, you know, within a couple of months, you, you went back to school and you were getting straight A's. So things felt like they were sailing. And how long were you on that, on that high? When I call that a high. Oh, probably about, it's probably about two years. Mm -hmm. um, because it, 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 at this point, I'm getting constant positive feedback, right? <laughs> right. All of a sudden, I'm 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 very talented. You know, I'm I'm I actually have artistic ability, not just technical ability. I start writing music. That same voice now starts singing, and I'm hearing music now, and I'm and, I, and I'm writing stuff. And you know, for the first time, I actually had a sense of self-respect, <laughs> right? And so, you know, it it let me indulge that just long enough you know, to taste it before things started, before uh, the cosmic two by four landed, because that was not my destiny. My destiny was not to be a great musician or composer or anything, anything like that. It was to do this. But in order to do this, I had to fulfill the other side of what that voice was talking about and find out how do you separate them. And, and it, I found myself just cut off from everything. I, I got into uh, probably the first time I really fell in love, got into this relationship. Um, I got married young. I had two children. It was horrible. She, you know, she, she cheated on me constantly. It, it was, um, you know, I, some of the times she wasn't even there. I was, I was raising these two children, both in diapers by myself. Um, I'm doing odd jobs uh, to just to try to get At one point. I had three jobs just to keep stuff together. Uh, needless to say, my, my family was of no use. They wouldn't help. They wouldn't uh, be upset. Was, was, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, 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 I'm walking on water and, and now I, I can't even swim. Right. I'm just holding it, barely holding it together. And of course now I'm totally confused. Right. <laughs> because you go from this place of enlightenment. Yes. Of, of, like life was easy. Yes. Life was easy. And this is and, and you went to the narrative that we we get of we grow up, we get married, we have kids. Yep. And we have an idea 
of <laughs> what the idyllic life looks like. And now here's reality. And now here's reality. It's a little different than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, quite a bit different from what I, I thought it was going to be. And um, it, it, so now it's like I'm back to constant struggle. And it's not like the, you know, the, the inspiration wasn't still there. I, I didn't know how to reconcile the two. And, and that's the word I use now for the inner reconciliation. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to reconcile this incredible vision with everyday life. Um, which I later learned is the heart and soul of Zen. That's what it's uh, all about. And it was Zen that finally, uh, 20 years later, pulled the whole thing together for me, where I, I finally saw the entire picture. Um, but at this time was also the time when I was I was just pouring over, I was still pouring over a Bible and, and dictionaries, looking looking for the meaning. Now it was I was even more desperate to find it. It was no longer even luxurious, right? Um, I wasn't sitting in a practice room for 10 hours a day, <laughs> right? You, know, you were in a real life with multiple I was in a real life. I was on a shipping and was, uh, yes. saying, this is, again, not where I, I want to be. Right. But this is where I'm at. But this is where I'm at. And, and again, it took some humbling for me to start absorbing the lessons of, of that. Um, and we're fits and fits and starts. Um, where I finally began, it finally began to dawn. I mean, it actually culminated one night um, when I was, uh, I was, my, uh, my wife, we were estranged from at the time, you know, showed up, said she wanted to take the kids uh, for, uh, you know, a couple of days and she ran off. She took them to Arizona uh, and stayed with the family. So here it, it's Christmas. <laughs> my kids have just been stolen from me. <laughs> I'm in the midnight shift uh, at a 7-Eleven, at a my job to clean the muddy floors, right? Which, you know, in the middle of winter in Illinois are constantly, right? Constantly, yeah, from all the muck and the, and the salt. Uh, yeah. And the, yes. and I'm just, yeah. and I'm grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, what the, what the hell is this? What, what is going on? And it's like, and I, and I just remember that, that feeling of, just, just, I was worthless. Just this, you know, I, I, I couldn't even make use of what I was given, right? I just had no, I had no dignity. That was the word that popped into my mind, right? How undignified this whole thing was. And, and then that voice came back <laughs> and, and said, dignity isn't in what you do, it's in you. Yes. And when it's in you, everything you do will become dignified. Something in me just... It's, it's not external to it's you. External. It is in here. It is and, here and it is, in your, it is in your being. Yeah. By the time my shift was over, that was the most gleaming, shining 7-Eleven you'd ever seen. It was absolutely... Immediately after that, I got accused accused of stealing. I was, <laughs> I was. They actually investigated me. I was interviewed, right? Um, and of course, I hadn't. I mean, it was the last thing I would I would think about. Um, and they eventually said, "There's no evidence for this. The manager hates him. They put me somewhere else. That manager liked me so much, he gave me the keys to the safe, right?" <laughs> Then this other job came up, which I which I took, which within a few months had completely expanded to this other world. I learned how to work with computers. I was given a job in San Francisco, so I finally got out of uh, Illinois, and and uh, within a few short years, I was actually working for myself as a consultant, and I never worked for anybody ever again since. And again, this incredible transformation uh, took took place, and it continued like that but I was dense it's it took me a really a long time to to get to the whole through the whole point of it because I still you know I still have kids I got stuff I have to do I'm you know there's still an engagement uh in in life I can't become go become a monk um it wasn't really all that attractive to me anyway <laughs> you could have that was a that's an option you had it actually thought. was a choice it was, not the, it, it was not the option you chose because no you chose that that, a that, really, that really didn't work for me um mm -hmm. 
but you know, after the whole a period of time when I was just absorbed in biblical stories and the like, um, I, I realized there was more to it. I needed to learn about how the human nervous system works, psychology. So was, at the time, this is the eighties, this is the time of, um, ab reactions and gestalt and primal scream and those kinds of kind of things. So I started learning about that stuff and experimenting with that and other kinds of things as well. Men's work, the, the mythopoetic work of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, Robert Bly and, 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 and that ilk. Um, and there's somewhere along in there, I did, I discovered, I discovered Advaita Vedanta, which is the, the Hindu tradition of non-duality in the form of a book, I am that by uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj. And it just blew my mind. It was like finally the key that pulled it all together. And I understood the, how the, I understood now how conditioning worked, how the nervous system worked, how we get into these patterns, much of the stuff that I've been describing here, what, what happens to us, how we get disconnected for, uh, for our soul. But in, in reading him, it wasn't buried in mythology. It was just said, boom, this is, this is what it is. And between that and a Zen practice of Zen meditation that I took up, one day the entire thing just thump. It was like scales came off my eyes and the entire picture was clear. It was just this incredible flow. And I was nobody in particular. I was just this flow. Right. There wasn't even an eye there to flow. It was just the flow. <laughs> there was a, there's a beautiful poem really that, that captures it. It's very short. It's only four lines uh, from a Chinese mystic, 12th century mystic named Lin Po. And it goes, the bird disappears into the sky. The cloud dissolves and drains. We sit together, the mountain and I until only the mountain remains. And that was the experience. I simply vanished. Everything I'd known about me, it was like Ramana Maharshi, Maharshi puts it, the eye uh, dissolves the eye and yet remains the eye. When when we, when I think of I, it's this very individualistic I and its being. When we dissolve that, we step into a greater connection. We step into the I am, the one I am that is imminent all. in all things. The all. In all, all things are nothing but the faces of the I am, right? which is the true meaning of God. It is the one being of which we are all, are all uh, the manifestation of that. But it's not like there's an I in the manifestation. There's no I in the mirror. The mirror just reflects the, own, the one I. And so it is the same I. It is the shared beingness the tree, the flowers, this, this cup I'm holding, <laughs> the screen I'm looking at, the microphone that's picking me up, um, the, the flowers behind me, my little, my little, my, my little pet bunny <laughs> and bear. <laughs> it's all the same. The cockroach, uh, it's all the same being. That same original innocence I had seen, you know, 40 years earlier, now 50 years earlier. Uh, that was the ultimate me, which was not me. And, and, and then, boy, life really shifted. And you know, it became clear that this is what I was to be doing, you know, not making music, not doing computer systems. Mm -hmm. this, okay. this, was, this was my place. And of course, you know, I just, it's not even like, you know, a chore. <laughs> it's just, it's just incredible. I mean, it's just, the, it's, it's like the greatest honor I could possibly receive. Of which, humanly, I'm not worthy of it. Nobody is. Thank God and, we don't. And yet you were chosen. 
<laughs> it was chosen for you. Yes. That, you know, from your early childhood of having, you're having severe, having been told severely that you, you, you're not safe and you weren't safe. Yes. And going to the extremes of your, your early childhood years of physically being available, but checking out yes. through the drugs and through, you know, and through just the constant, I'm not, I don't want to be in my body. Yep. <laughs> well, from that extreme to having this extreme moment of this is what it is. This is the meaning of why I'm here. Yeah. And, and having that continuum. It took all that time. I know, you, you know, there's the Hollywood version of awakening, right? Where they just, oh, and it's all over, right? <laughs> and it's, it's not, it's not a one and done. Oh my God. It's not. I want to, I want to really illustrate more than anything. It's not like you arrive at this place, at this destination and life is magical and beautiful and abundant. It's this continuous flow of the light and the dark. It's a continuous flow. And you, the mission is, is that the, the vision that gets bestowed at some point has to move south, right? It has to, it, it, for most it starts as, as an insight, a powerful insight. But then that insight runs right into just layers and layers of, of conditioning everything you've thought you were, the whole structure of the ego, not of just this life, but of all of them. They're, they're all there, right? And all of a sudden now, there's this sense, there's a sense, and for me, it was very graphic, all this stuff happening, and I'm talking to God, what in the world is going on? I had no clue about any of this. And I thought the idea was I was to transcend it all, get out of my body. And that was my spirituality for a while. And it was eventually... Uh, doing the psychological work and gestalt work and, th and, and, and things like that, I began to be a little bit more sensitive towards the body. But when I discovered Advaita and Zen, it was like, no, dude, this is where it is. <laughs> the ordinary human being is the Buddha. That's the saying in Zen. It was like, oh, my God. And so now it became not a transcending, but a reconciling with this. And then allowing that vision to literally colonize the whole rest of the system, you know, removing everything that was unlike it, going all the way back through past life, as far back as it needed to go. And it, and it had the power and authority to do that. And that's when that submission finally begins to, to happen and a humility that's hard to describe, right? Because I know <laughs> I have to be vigilant, right? <laughs> I am not going to assume anything, right? Yes. I know somewhere lurking is some little guy who's going to try to catch me, right? And if I'm yeah. not aware, I'm, I'm just going to start thinking how wonderful I am. <laughs> and I'm so glad, I'm glad that you brought up humility. And, and this might be a wonderful way to, to tie up the conversation as we're um, running into the, the end of the, the call, the conversation here is, Embracing that humility, surrendering to what is. Yes. That's exactly it. Anthony DeMello put it beautifully. He said, enlightenment is total surrender to the inevitable. <laughs> it's not the, it, it's, it is the great insights, but it's the surrender of the heart. Yeah. That's, that's where it is. Truth can't reveal itself to an arrogant mind. Can't do it. Oh, so that so well said, so well said. Because we 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 grow up, we're, we're taught to want to control, want to control an outcome. We want to know what the end game is before we even begin. Yes. <laughs> and the moment that we do that, and when we do that, we're not open. We're not allowing ourselves to be open to what is correct and the potential unlimited opportunity and and power that is actually there for us all the time we expect somehow we expect life and reality to conform to what we think it should be yes. <laughs> and yet this is this is something that I, I that i've come to, to continue i'm continuing to learn is 
there is already, in my view, a predestined path for us. Mm-hmm. Not that I, you know, the, the journey is going to look different because I do believe it's a choose your own adventure. However, we can't stop the inevitable. The inevitable is coming. So we can dance around it all we want, or we can just say, you know, it's here. Yeah, you can either go creaking and streaming, or you can go on your surfboard, but you are going to go. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Once you realize that, there's this most wonderful surrender that takes place to the harmony of things. The struggle stops. The suffering stops. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're not in life. It doesn't mean there isn't pain. There isn't loss. There isn't grief. There are highs and lows, you fall in love or get your heart broken. All of that stuff continues, but it doesn't have the same entity energy around it. It doesn't have the same egoic attachment. There's just this, there's just this allowing that I call it the yoga of allowing. You're simply letting life be what it is. It's our job to harmonize with life, not the other way around. And it's just, it's the, that's the Tao. That's freedom. It's like, and it's miraculous because you don't know what's coming. It's a surprise. It's fresh. It's childlike. It's, it's like better than you could possibly plan. You can't make a vision board for this stuff. Yeah. You know, my night on the bridge was not on. Would never have been on a vision board. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, and I'm glad to, uh, when you bring this up. So I did my first vision board about three and a half years ago. Very uh, before actually I met my first coach. Before and I, you know clearly. Clearly, the universe had this plan of, you know, Dawson, you're ready for this right now. Like, it's time. It's time for you to awaken. So I did my first, I actually created my first vision board a month before. Hmm. It was in December. That following month is when I met my first coach. In that first month, and I had just put pictures up, right? I didn't have any identity of what it was going to look like. What was showing up on my vision board was actually happening in real life. Hmm. The first first example, I put someone's name, a last name of someone that I connected that I knew from high school that I hadn't spoken to in twenty years. A month later, we're on the phone talking about potential work opportunity with a company he was working for in a different state. Wow! I couldn't. I can't explain that. I don't want to. In fact, no, you you can't. But when you really do surrender, this is what happens. It doesn't give that to the egoic mind, though. It can't. If it did, you'd actually make the ego stronger. The ego has to break first. Then the blessings can flow. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We we want to hold on to our ego and get the goodies. (laughs) It's like, like, no, no, no. no. (laughs) Pay up. (laughs) It's sort of turning this off, turning this, this constant chatter off and drop in and just be with the lived experience yes. of life. Yep, the, the, the right nowness of it. Yes. That's all there is. That's all we actually have, this moment. And really, if you don't compare this moment to any other moment, is there anything wrong? Is that Bob Adamson's put it, if, 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 is there anything wrong with right now if you don't think about it? No. No. It's, complete, it's whole, it's perfect, it's absolutely pristine, it's beautiful, it's everything right now. Yeah. And on right now, TPL, I thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been an incredibly beautiful journey. Um, and for the audience who have, joined, who have joined us today, I'd like to share with you. So to learn more about GP and where you can find him, you can find him at gpwalsh.com. Um, and GP, thank you so much. Can you share a little bit we have about 30 seconds to um, what people can what people can find on your site or, or learn in working with you. Well, everything I talk about is available. Uh, all the courses and stuff. There's a there's a book uh, that I just recently created. It's right on the front page there of gpwalsh.com called Angels in the Basement, where I discuss how we lose touch with our soul and that it's not actually gone. It can't go anywhere. It's just been sent to the basement and that those negative voices, those those uncomfortable feelings that we think we have to get rid of are actually the best part of you trying to get out. Um, That's why I refer to them as angels. Um, And it's very, I I think it can really help open your heart. I've got lots of 
class oh god dozens and dozens of classes meditations and and uh, and the like that are that are available there's a shop there with all my uh with a yoga of allowing and uh, all the meditations and another link to my my school i call it the ohm school <laughs> um and that's got all the courses on it everything from non-duality to eft uh, energy healing meditation all sorts of things so there's quite a library of things there for you to take advantage of. And um, I'm also doing a, uh, I'm doing an EFT training now. I actually learned EFT and I teach people how to do it with my particular spin on it, which is what I call inner reconciliation, which is the, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. plenty there. Yes. I will. Yes. So thank you so much, GP, for spending this hour with me and enlightening not just myself and everyone that is tuned in. A real, a real honor that you'd share your platform with me. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks. it. Have a wonderful day. Thanks.